everyone. Welcome to episode 10 of season two of Contact Lost, a Polish podcast about competitive Warhammer 40k scene in Poland and abroad. I am your host, Tweek, and uh, with me today I have not one, but two special guests. With me, uh, I have Mr. Neil Kerr. Hello. Hi, <laughs> dude. And um, I also have Daniel from the Swedish national team. So, hi guys. So, <laughs> listen. Uh, I brought you two in because at the beginning of of November there was a special event, a team tournament, a Swedish team tournament that you both participated in. And as far as I know, you've placed quite high. Is that correct? Yes. I mean, some of us placed better than others, but. Uh, <laughs> just, just, despite despite losing to us yes <laughs> oh that's that's interesting so hopefully we can we can get into that so um to all our listeners yeah this is the topic of, of today's episode we are going to be discussing the the uh swedish uh team championship bear in mind this was before the uh well gw's data slate so it was still let's call it old rules but i still think uh you know the rules didn't change the armies that much and uh this is still quite i don't, I don't know my my knights would have been significantly better so there is no <laughs> about my player list significantly <laughs> worse but <laughs> well, <laughs> significantly <yeah>. illegal <laughs> so that is but, a fair, fair point but it, it doesn't matter because yeah. it's the idea of the list we can talk about that because exactly. it, it doesn't matter. I think I've won this tournament five times out of eight that it's been played. And they've changed the setting and the rules for it every time. Uh, the, the thing is that when you know the, know the rule set, you bring the appropriate armies to apply for that rule set. So for yeah. me, it doesn't matter what we're playing. We could play, you know, it, it doesn't matter. I just yeah. try to bring the type of armies we need to win. So I, I, it doesn't matter that our lists were illegal uh, one week afterwards. Uh, it would just have changed what type of armies we were brought today. But, but at least what your list it. wasn't illegal one week before, like mine was. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, so listen, uh, we'll get to the tournament in a second. Just, to, I mean, Neil, you've been on the podcast before, so um, whoever listens to us probably has heard about you and they probably have heard about you even if they don't listen but if there is anyone who hasn't heard about you uh give us a short introduction um hi i'm neil um the probably best known for being the head ref at wtc i've been a tournament player in a to for going on 20 years now past 10 years almost been living in sweden playing in tournaments getting actually now finally beating daniel for the first time at a tournament so uh can actually say that at last but yeah i'm one of the sort of tos regular tournament players in sweden and you know sort of known for everything in the uk wtc and all those things fantastic all right and daniel your introduction uh yeah uh, i've been playing 40 40k since 92. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I've been playing competitive since 2007, I would say, from sort of a serious note. Uh, I, I, I've been playing at tournaments before that, but not on a competitive uh, mission, so to say. I've been the Swedish team captain or part of the Swedish ETC or WC, WTC team since Poland, 2012. which is 2012. 20, 
Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was just after I moved to Sweden. Yeah. Um, and I am still the reigning uh, champion of Adapt Adapticon team tournament because they haven't been playing since I won it two years ago. <laughs> Three years ago. <laughs> if anyone apart from me and Neil could see that that proud face right now. <laughs> Anyone who's met Daniel knows exactly what smug smile he's got in his face right now. <laughs> but he has. I, I, I want to uh, say something about that. that I'm actually happy when I'm losing as well, but it's, it seldomly happens. But I, I'm happy when I'm losing and winning. <laughs> That's the right attitude. Um, so yeah, okay. Let's let's get into it then. Uh, the introductions are done. So listen, I I tried hard to find any details about that tournament but i don't know if you've posted in some sort of like an app that i don't have access to i've even gone to the swedish forums but they seem dead for at least two years or something like that so where do you find information and let's get into that information so how many players um you know how many teams uh is it like the polish uh, um you know polish team championships that it's like a almost like a holiday a national holiday of Warhammer 40, 40k or is it just a tournament like any other? I, I can start with a soft point here and then Neil can go into the hard points. Mm -hmm. The soft point here is it's the best tournament of the year. I wouldn't miss it for anything. Mm -hmm. And anyone that misses it uh, is still home crying because they missed it. <laughs> Anyone who doesn't set their alarm clock over the yeah. <laughs> It sells out in 20 minutes and uh, it's it's just a blast. It's uh, it's it's a mix between I would say it's a mix between super competitive 40k and very casual gaming. Yeah. So okay. normally I would say we have 30, 34 teams of four players, something around there. This year it was a little bit smaller because when they announced it, they weren't sure about the COVID restrictions. So I think we were only 24 teams this year. Yeah. Yeah. So a little bit smaller, but it's, it's still way above, uh, no, it's actually only 96 people. But normally it's uh, way, way above 100 people. Okay. Um, and yeah, it's... I haven't missed it since 2008, and I don't think I'll ever miss it. So that's the soft points of this. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say every year there's maybe five, six, maybe eight teams that are competing for the top three seats. This year, I would say it was a little bit less. I would say it was like four or maybe five that were actually trying to win it. Um, and out of those five, I think they ended up one, two, three, four, and 13 because we crushed one of the teams in the last uh, mm. round. So, mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Neil, for some data crunching, like, um, you know, w w was the, let's say the army spread quite even, or could you see people leaning towards specific armies? And then, you know, were the, were the top teams, let's say, did they focus on the top armies really so like Admech, Drukari, Orcs, maybe Sisters, Grey Knights or you know was the spread more even? I think it's like as Daniel says there's a big there is a big difference between the top teams 
and then a lot of the rest of the field are very much like a group of friends that have been going to this event for like, i mean i've been going to the event since i came to 2012 as well but you've got some teams that are it's the same four friends that go and maybe this might be the only tournament they do every year so the spread of armies i'd say is pretty average there's nothing you know mo most teams had a sort of a space beam variant they probably had at least two of the other big hitters be it the you Drakari, know, admech and so on but you, when you talk about how focused lists are, I think that maybe half, only half the teams really focused in on what the meta would be, or to sort of deliberately counter the meta as well. So, like, I mean, you certainly saw, I mean, Daniel's team, you guys, they ran Jukari, Admech, Iron Hands, and what was the Sisters. And Sisters. You know, they, they came first, we came second, we had Sisters, Orcs, Dark Angels and Knights, I'll get into why, the Knights. And then the third place team, which were the boys from Uppsala, they ran Space Marines, which was the, uh, the, the Ultramarine Invictus Warsuit trick list. Um, Death Guard, um, Grey Knights, and Drakari. So you see the top, the top, everyone, everyone was running, you know, three of the top lists and then sort of a fourth, slightly more wild card thing, mm -hmm. trying to sort of play, play, into, play into the meta a little bit. No, because everyone knows. Yeah, we know. We know each other so well, so we know that Daniel is going to be rocking Jukari without a doubt. You know, we do know these things. Daniel knows that Max, one of the guys at my team, will be playing Sisters. So we're kind of playing. We're kind of second guessing and playing into a lot of what the other teams will be running as well. Okay, were there any house rules implemented, like or you know, in place? Anything like maybe uh, it sometimes happens in Poland that we play with, uh, you know, the ground floor is uh, blocking line of sight or something like that. So do you guys do that too? Do you do you invent your own rules, or is it just standard WTC sort of rule set? I would say it's pretty standard WTC set. The only difference yeah. here is fifteen hundred points, which actually instead of 2,000 points. I would say that changes the meta more than you anticipated. Yeah. There, there are some lists. So for example, we brought six flyers on 1,500 points. Uh, there's very few 1,500 points armies that can handle six flyers. I mean, there's a few, very few uh, 2,000 points armies that can handle uh, six flyers. So we just, you know, brute forced, uh, brute forced that aspect of of army building but except for that i think it's standard wtc or or uh, jw yeah uh, rule set they, they all had they had some very minor things regarding certain terrain pieces just to make them function a little easier but yeah. there was nothing sort of like out there at all okay so before we get to to you know to to your games and and how it went uh, I have one question that I, I've been asking my guests in, in previous iterations of, of the podcast, um, and that is, you know, I, I listen to a ton of podcasts from, from the States, and it seems that in their um, tournament scene, it, is, it has become quite commonplace to use what they abbreviate as POT, so player-optimized terrain, uh, which is basically players setting up the terrain before the game starts. Uh, what do you think of that? Is this something that you might consider implementing in Sweden, for example? And is this something that WTC might do at some point? I know as a TO, I ran a tournament in Sweden. What was it August, Daniel, my last tournament? Yeah. And I did a questionnaire afterwards regarding you know, feedback on the train we use and also put in there, you know, what people like to see. And very interestingly, the regarding player place train, the generally overwhelming response was that players didn't want to see it because they feel that 
if you've if you've already got a skill gap in a matchup, then that skill gap will just be pushed even harder by home player play strain. And it's like you know, does it? These are these are actually the strong players saying they would soon not have it because it can help make closer games for them against you know it reduces the skill back so much and makes the games a bit more interesting because unfortunately nine fed is very binary a lot of games do end twenty nil very mm-hmm. quickly so there is kind of that feeling there and as the WTC we've talked about it with the captains but the feeling is it just it wouldn't work in a team environment because say you're a defender you would just put all you just stack all your train down basically to create a wall to hide behind and not move from it. So it just create it would just create again very very binary very dull matchups in that sense. So from my perspective as a TO, my my, my players don't really want it, so I'm not really that bothered. And I think from a team play system, at least from the WTC, again the, the teams that have said they just don't really want it. So I've I've played it in Adepticon. They always play. Um, uh, I'm not that bothered with anything that TOs do really, as long as I know before. I can adapt my games to it, and I, I I actually like different systems and different scoring systems and different trains and so on. So I, I think it's fun every now and then. I don't mm-hmm. want to have WTC because I think a big part of WTC is the pairing, and the pairing is based on you know there's one or two open tables for regular tables and two closed tables. You build your army around it, and if you change the the entirety of that. Uh, of course, you can adapt to it, but it's probably going to take a year or two to be able to adapt to changes of player based terrain. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in single tournaments, I think it's up to TOs. Um, I love to go to any kind of tournament, it's fine. It, it, just, just tell the players before and they can adapt to it. In the WTC, uh, I like it the way it is. I'm a conservative WTC player. <laughs> yeah, it's I, like I think to be fair, most captains and players are. Like yeah. they, they, they like what they know when it comes to WTC because there's enough yeah. cha- there's, there's enough challenges as it is in WTC. Yeah, I correct. mean it's super complex as it is, so yeah. don't need to add you know another dimension to it. <laughs> yeah, another layer of complexity. Absolutely, I agree to that. In singles, yeah, do whatever you want. Uh, okay, so uh, let's get into the topic of your maybe firstly preparation for the tournament so uh daniel in our conversation before uh we started recording the podcast uh i recalled that one uh squat cast episode that i listened to where you said that you count the games that you've played that you uh encourage players from your national team to run a diary of games that they have played and so on for a tournament like this one a team tournament do you also like do the pairings in your head or do you have an Excel file where you run through all this? Is it like a preparation before WTC or is it more laid back? So for this tournament, uh, we knew going in that they were playing um, uh, battle point system only. So the biggest we could win one game was 400, uh, 400 versus 40. And the 40 is then the painting score the other team would get. Mm-hmm. So going in with that, we felt we need to have lists that can crush, um, how do you say, less skilled players. Because okay. in theory, in I mean, looking at the, the, the people going to the tournament, we knew there were only going to be like 
four or five other top tier teams and we're probably only going to play two of them. If we can get 1,200 points in three games, there's no chance we're not going to win the tournament. Uh, so the way we built our armies were one first defender that always picked table first. It was our Iron Hands dread list. If he gets an open table, he can play against anything. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. uh, so, was it like a take all comers list, or was it there was 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 there some? Yeah, it was trick basically about it? dreadnoughts. Okay. I mean, I I think he had like uh, two units of infiltrators and an HQ, and the rest was dreadnoughts. So he basically on an open table, the idea was he'll blast. He also had a repulsor, right? Uh, so very shooting. Yeah, yeah. So the idea was on an open table, you just. If he gets to pick the table, it doesn't matter where he's playing. He's he's gonna shoot it off the table. Uh, except for that, we had six admec flyers on fifteen hundred points. That was very broken. I think he lost twenty points out of five hundred in five games. Mm -hmm. uh, I played a super fast uh, Drakari list, which was tailored just to be like, yeah. If I get the close table, you can't shoot at me. Turn one, turn two, I advance and charge. And I, you know, I don't have to kill everything. I just need to touch everything and put you in your corner. And then I'm going to win the long game. And then we had a more take all comers sisters list. So we had the possibility of taking a ton of points in every game. As I said, like uh, 1,200 points against 120 points. In the three games against what we consider, you know, less skilled newbie—I uh, don't know what you want to call it—but you know, less less um, skilled adversaries. Mm -hmm. uh, so we took very—I I would say—we took quite extreme lists. Except for that, uh, we always every year do like an Excel that where we go through all the lists and do like a, either a twenty-zero system or a win/draw loss system. Mm -hmm. So in this case. Uh, since the point swing is so big, I didn't want to go into like, yeah, I'm going to get 28 versus 56 yeah. because it's too uh, it's impossible to, to do. figure out the difference. So we only went with win, draw, loss. So this, was it like this uh, green, yellow, green, red yellow, sort of? Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Okay. All right. Neil, what about your team? Did you have the same sort of preparation or more laid back? Um, our preparation was a little bit haphazard because we had to, uh, we had a, well, we lost a player early on. So we actually ended up getting Tommy Charney coming from Team Belgium, which opened up a lot of options to us, but also meant there was no real opportunity to sort of practice or do anything. Obviously, Tom was finding from Belgium. Mm -hmm. um, we had an idea of our, we, again, as, as Donna says, you know the players that are coming in, you know the players, the teams you need to beat. Um, well in advance and you know what those players generally play so we kind of went at it like we, the, we went at it a different way we went and this is actually probably our biggest failing as well we went at it as we'll have two really good strike two really good strike lists tom with his orcs he, ba he basically ran a 1500 point version of the bucket list that's mm -hmm. well it's now illegal but was stomping obviously a lot and uh, max with his sisters because sisters are ridiculously are, are a very very solid army and can score a lot of points um, and then into that, we decided that I was going to run knights because in 1500 points, 
one one big night and a whole load of armages because a lot of people these days don't have the tech i mean I'm, i was walking around with 100 something toughness seven wounds and then a big night on top of that most people don't have the tech to deal with that and again team play looking at the board you can obviously try to engineer the board that i want rather than the board that's covered in obscuring terrain and that would work quite well and then our fourth option we went for I mean, again this is our failing we went for a more traditional sort of style we could we should have gone for more an attacking list but we went for a dark angel list thinking this would be our easy put forward this is our anvil list to put forward in games and just say look he'll take the bad matchups tank the still gain a lot of points he knows he's going to beyond dark angel player he knows he's going to score between 70 and 80 points in every game he plays just because of how mm -hmm. he plays but he's not going to deny his opponent and i think that was our failing there my list didn't deny points well enough my list would score a lot of points but it wouldn't deny points particularly well. And Bjorn's list would always score a certain amount of points but you wouldn't deny. And that was, I think, very much the difference between our list and Daniel's team list. We took two strike lists, one problem, one, one outside box as my knights, and then a, and an anvil list. We should have gone for four strike lists, just as Daniel's yeah. had just gone, and gone for points. Because, and the, the irony was, I mean, I was I read the rules package, so I knew what was going on. The other guys in the team didn't even realise what the scoring system was, Daniel, until he showed up on the Friday, which was <laughs> a classic thing of read the rules pack, boys. Um, and that that literally was the difference, because as, as we're probably going to go through the games, um, as Daniel said, you know, when you, when we played Daniel's team, and we, play, or we played the Upsala boys and that, and played the other solid teams, there wasn't much in those games. It was like yeah. a kind of a twenty, a twenty, a twenty to thirty point win to one team or the other, I mean, which out four hundred points the, is very we little. Beat, we beat the Uppsala team with twelve and lost to you with ten. Yeah, it's, so, it's out of it's four not, games, you know, it's basically draws all over the board. Yeah, so. we beat up, mm -hmm. we beat Uppsala, we beat Uppsala by thirty, which is again out of four hundred and something is negligible. But what the difference was is when we played, as I say, the the less competitive teams, you know. We, you know, you guys tank about 270 points or something in the last round. Like an, an yeah, enormous yeah. amount. And that's just the difference was you guys had tailored the list to tank the big points when you got the opportunity. Yeah. Whereas we, we tailored, we tailored our lists with... again to play the good, the good team, to play the, the more competitive teams. And as a result, we weakened ourselves, the ability to get big points against the less competitive teams. And mm -hmm. that was that was literally the decided. We all talked about this on Saturday night as well, yeah. before the final round. Literally, the game is, the, the, we all knew how the tournament was going to go by that point because of this. So I mean, we took we won the first game with three hundred and fifty versus fifty. Mm. Yeah, that's the difference. I was capped on eighty though, so it didn't help us that much. But it just goes yeah. into account how 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 do you say how hard striking our lists actually were when we were on a roll. And yeah. in the last game, we played uh, I would say a good team. Yes. Uh, it's the Stockholm. It's the other course. Stockholm team, and uh, we beat them 170 uh, in difference. So, yeah, yeah it's yeah. sort of. Uh, and for me, at the, I, I don't want to give away all my secrets for winning TTT all the time, but for me, winning TTT is more about actually crushing <laughs> the lesser <laughs> team and playing even or taking small wins against the good teams. Um, and the way to do that is to have super offensive lists, aggressive lists. Okay, very, very offensive lists. I mean, they're both aggressive <laughs> and offensive. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so so tell us about your games then. Uh, I, I think we can start with Daniel. Uh, tell us how your list worked 
and who was your first opponent? Uh, was there any history in that game? Uh, no, I, I, our first opponent. I don't. I, to be honest, I don't even remember uh, the name of that team. It was like a fun, fun bunch of people. Uh, we got our pairings, and uh, luckily for them, uh, there was a cap, so we could only win with eighty points in difference. Uh, I think we won with 350 points in difference. So, I mean, there's not much to say about it. It, it was very uneven, both in in list construction, pairing especially, because we got basically whatever, we got all the pairings we wanted uh, and also in, in player skill. So that was very uneven, uh, but we only went away with 80 points in difference because mm -hmm. it was capped. And uh, I don't know if I like it or dislike it, it's a way of doing it because of obviously there's a certain amount of luck in the first round of pairing. And if we would have gotten 350 points in, in difference, I think we won the tournament with 367 points in difference. So if we would have got 350 points in the first mm -hmm. game, you know, we could have just stopped playing. <laughs> Pretty much. So, yeah. so you know, if, if you don't remember the details of the game, can you tell us, uh, you know, more about your list then? Uh, maybe what secondaries you wanted to play uh, or what, what secondaries usually do you play with, with that style list? Yeah, so um, we, were playing, we were filling an Iron Hands list, basically Dreadnought-based. So I think he had three Redemptors, two Contemptors and something else. I don't know, another Dreadnought. He was play, uh, typically playing first defender on an open table. He wanted to go for a very secure, maybe, you know, grind them down type of things, because if he were losing more models than the other, uh, obviously he's losing the game. Um, so he were typically playing like grind them down, maybe oath, uh, getting some uh, dreadnoughts into the center. Um, and, um, uh, stranglehold or similar types of, uh, or, or um, uh, what's the name of the three most, of, uh, it used to be last, uh, last time standing. Last. Yeah, to the last, exactly. Uh, I were playing super fast Dark Elders. So I had like two units of Helios, two units of Reavers, uh, three Raiders with like close combat content. I think I shot maybe six Lances total. Turn mm -hmm. one, typically turn two, I shot three, and turn three, I shot zero. So it was just like all up in your face. But, you know, uh, I was expecting a lot more of like orc buggies and stuff. And mm -hmm. um, if orc buggies go second against that list, they're never leaving their deployment zone. Uh, so I, we were tailoring against those kinds of lists uh, with, with that. So I go first, I charge, boom. Put raiders and shit into them they can't move second wave helios and stuff they can't move and they're never going anywhere um i was typically actually playing um uh, pray the herd i think it's called like you're not going anywhere so i'm i'm getting six points in in the other quarters yeah the table's mine uh i played octarius data a lot because i had some mandrakes and that odd uh, Helios that survives is actually in uh, uh, infantry, so he can jump away and get it. Um, and then I was playing a little bit dependent on the mission or the opponent, typically mission specific or opponent specific. So, like, yeah, 
kill vehicles, kill monsters, kill mm-hmm. whatever it is. Or uh, I, I, I have typically played two units of Mandrakes. So I love, for example, Vital Intelligence Mission, because if I go first, I just take all the center board objectives, teleport them away. And it's like an uphill just to get on the mission, get on there. And also since my list is so fast, I can lean back. And if you go up to the center, I have charges all over the table. So it's um, th- so that's a mission I like a lot. Yeah, then sounds like a comprehensive the, toolkit that you brought. Yeah. Then we had the six flyers, so we had three bombers and three um, um, last cannon shooting admec flyers. I don't know the name of them. Um, I actually don't know why he played that much. I just know he he made games unfunny for his opponent. Mm-hmm. Um, I assume he played like uh, engage since it's all over the table. Uh, he probably played. Um, he kills more infantry than you kill vehicles, which is the admec specific one. He probably played. He had six units of infantry and three horses as well. So I guess he could play banners uh, or similar. Um, missions as well uh, he was when we did the pairings I don't think he had anything except greens and then he had like three yellows one was actually against Neil uh, it was like yeah, if I go first I'm probably going to win if he goes first I'm definitely going to lose you know it wasn't a good matchup but except for that he only was so he was like whatever is left you're going to play against that and then we have the sisters players. Um, he built his list around um, uh, Last Man Standing or whatever it's called, um, because he wanted to be able to be a fan, uh, aggressive, but always have like um, stranglehold, engage, um, stranglehold, engage, and um, uh, the three most expensive units alive. So he had a lot of uh, the bodyguards, sacrosancts, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Then he had uh, characters around that. And so um, he did well. He was actually our worst performing list. Um, we probably, in hindsight, we were talking about it before. We probably should have changed that list for a you know, three to five Dread Knight type of Grey Knight list. Okay. I think that would have... Uh, really tipped our team over to the next like you're not gonna catch us ever kind of team mm-hmm. okay all right neil what about your team composition and you know uh, the, the the idea behind your games so i said i mean our team composition we like we said like bjorn um played our dark Hail angels and we he kind of fixed in on that early as a good he's a he's a very very tenacious player and he's kind of he's the kind of guy that works very well and just you know he plays he plays he plays his game he's very methodical so perfect kind of anvil player you know he will just think things out he'll plan things out he'll get those points reliably max was always in play sisters because that is by far his strongest army um he's been repping that since the uh, new codex came out not, not the most recent one but the one in eighth edition He's put a lot of time in into that list there so no questions there and then basically it was a case of like what was i going to run and what was there tom going to run and tom was basically toying coin flipping between jukari and orcs and in the end we decided orcs because again we felt like you know in in sweden at least people haven't 
hadn't got there with the orc buggy list yet it was very much not part of the meta so we thought that a lot of people wouldn't quite wouldn't be prepared for it and wouldn't be sort of prepared for the kind of damage it could do and that proved quite true most of his games he just you know absolutely wrecked face he just didn't understand you know the speed the reach just the, the sheer amount of damage that the army puts out and then basically for me it was a case of you know, very typically me i'm that sort of special butterfly i have to do everything differently and it was a case of like let's take so i'll take a list that kind of goes against the meta a little bit and tries to create problems like create ask questions of opposing teams and we toyed around with things like custodies and a few other options and he only settled on this night list which was so which was in the end because i originally had a, a low forge on the army but we were told like a week before the event i wasn't allowed to use it for sort of reasons so i had a crusader a helverin free Oh, I had three heads, Crusader, three Helverins, and four Warglaves. So I had seven armature bodies, and then the uh, Crusader. And it's basically, as I said, I said earlier, it's just asking that question of a lot of teams, a lot of players. Can you deal with that much toughness seven and toughness eight? Mm. And very few armies, outside of sort of Grey Knights and Thousand Sons with the Mass Spites, and Orcs, because the buggy list has a really high damage, or high strength, high damage output, most armies don't have an answer for that. And it plays ridiculously well into the Admech, the Drakari matchups as well. Like the Skatari matchup, it just absolutely crushes it. And the Drakari matchup, as Daniel explained when he talks about our game, you basically have one opportunity to win the game. And if it doesn't go your way, then you lose the Knights, basically. Um, so yeah, and it, wor- and it worked to plan. Um, our first round, we played um, Pulp, which is one of the Gothenburg teams. They actually came fourth in the end. And it was quite funny. I played, my opponent hasn't, hasn't played 40k since the 2012 ETC in Poland. Wow. He's, he's been playing, but he's been playing War Machine at a ridiculously high standard internationally, Guild Ball, lots of other games. You know, his, uh, pair, his, his game theory is solid as heck, but he doesn't, but obviously he's not played a lot of 40k. Mm-hmm. I, prior to the tournament, he played one practice game, which was against me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like oh here we go again um and we, you know going into that matchup i just knew like you know he's literally got one shooting phase against me he has he's he's got to expose his anti-tank um he had five balistari in his list essentially he's got to expose his anti-tank and he's got to he's got to basically roll ridiculously hot in his first shooting phase because a minute because he will lose all his balistari in the second turn and if he hasn't done enough damage in that one shooting phase he loses the game as it was he took out one armager and then I just rolled his army basically. Mm. He played the game incredibly well. He played really well for the primary points, and he still got a lot of primary points in the game. But you know, after my after my first shooting phase, he had no anti tank, so it was academic at that point. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, that's how the games went. Oppo- opponents would have one or two anti tank units in their army, and I would just basically position myself to target those out. And once that was done. I just basically, okay. my army just steamrolled up the board and people didn't have an answer for it. It was only actually the very last game where I played somebody that had a good answer for the night list. Yeah, so so maybe, you know, since we are a little bit pressed pressed for time, uh, maybe let's focus, if there was something like that, on the games that were an, an actual challenge to you. So, uh, Neil, if you could tell us about a game, maybe that last game, that, you know, maybe was there anything that took you by surprise or, or why was it a challenge? It wasn't the last, the last game I played. Uh, Troger, who is a re- really, really solid uh, player in Sweden. I mean, he's played the ETC many, many times, and he was playing a sort of a 
the the ultramarine the, you know the ultramarine raven guard list that's stomping a lot he's playing the 1500 points of ultramarines so you know free redemptive dreads with plasma cannons free victor war suits and some chaff other mm-hmm. stuff to either, either to buff or to score and you know i'm playing my knights and we ended up on a board that was quite well we had quite a bit of we had quite a bit of obscure ruins on the board and it's a case of he's going to take oath he's going to put oath on my crusader and if my crusader ever exposes itself first to those redemptive dreadnoughts it'll die they'll step out and kill him one shooting face um by the flip side he can never expose his redemptive dreadnoughts to me because if he exposes them first, then, then I'll get the then I'll get the, the one upon him. So the, the, those two units always play super cagey. And then there's a case of, well, he's going to deploy his invictors aggressively, so I'll just deploy defensively so he doesn't get any cheap first turn charges. And then he redeploys them, which he did. And then the game basically went out for, it was a ridiculously cagey game of, we were basically, trying, we were basically using the terrain to avoid each other shooting while scoring points. Um... And in the end, it came down to a single... Because I was playing three weird lands. So I had to make a leadership test at the start of every turn. And I failed. On the last turn of the game, I failed a leadership test on my Helverins, and it meant it couldn't fall back from combat. Aww. Which therefore meant the Invictor Warsuit, who was on one wound, engaged in combat with it, survived. I didn't get the primary point. I didn't get a 15 on primary, and I only got five. And it meant that Trigger won the game by 10 points. But it was, a, it was an incredibly tactical game where we were, you know, checking the line of sights, measuring everything out, because it was just this incredible KG game that our, my core piece of the Crusader and his core pieces, the Redemptors, cannot expose themselves first. And the whole game kind of revolved outside of those so those models for pretty much the entire game as a result. So it was a very, okay. very tactical game there. So, you know, to sum it up, like any lessons learned from, from, from your participation in that tournament? Anything, you know, that maybe our listeners could uh, could benefit from as well. Yeah, make sure the rest of your team reads the rules pack and understands the scoring <laughs> system <laughs> and designs their list to do it. No, no, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic tournament. And, you know, hats off to Daniel. You know, they they, they, they built the list for the tournament better than we did. That's And that is literally it. And, that, and, they, and, they, and therefore, they deserve to win the tournament as a result. So there's no questions there. So it's just, it's just that, you know, you... Put, take the time to understand what like you know what event you're playing and what's the win requirement i'm really identity again we 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 were f- more focusing on making sure we beat teams like daniel's team like the upsala boys and that missing as in, uh, and miss, miss the whole point that to win the tournament it wasn't to beat those guys it was to really crush the other guys we missed that point and we didn't have to, and we, and we had, didn't have the list that could do it for us mm-hmm. as well. okay all right, Daniel. Uh, any challenges that you faced in that tournament? Any games that you know that you remember because they were like a tough nut to crack or something like that? I mean, uh, uh, from a team perspective, I actually we actually had problems uh, doing the pairings against both Neil's team and the other good team Uppsala. Uh, it was. Um, uh, they had really solid lists, and I, I much agree with uh, Neil's perspective of it. I think they had maybe in our pairing, maybe even the better lists than we did, but it it didn't matter in the in the format we were playing it. Uh, and I, I would say the same about Uppsala. We had big problems, and and especially in at TTT this tournament i i hardly ever lose because with with pairings and the extreme type of lists i'm i'm generally bringing it means that we pair into to like wins um uh 
Uh, but I lost both against uh, Neil and against uh, you won in the Uppsala team. And both those matches were interesting and, and relevant. I, I actually had Neil as a green pairing. So I, uh, after the game, I think we both agree that it's like, yeah, a, a little bit of a coin toss, sort of. It is. I mean, I, I had it down as you know, Daniel kills the Crusader, or I win. Yeah, that was literally that, that. That was my description of that game in our parents' yeah. matrix. It was, it yeah. was, it was, it was a twenty. It was a flip. It was a twenty nil one way or the other. Yeah, no, but it didn't turn out that way. It was no, 55, it, it didn't. Fifty-five eighty-eight, but yeah. but it was. Uh, we played. We played. Yeah. We both played very. We both played the mission very well. Yeah. Um. Uh, but from a pairing perspective, we had some challenges. Um, but the reason we won was because we didn't have challenges about, uh, you know, surrounding everyone else. Uh, that was our lists was way too, they were way too extreme. And I think when you've been to the ETC, I mean, we're basically talking about three, maybe four teams with ETC experience mm-hmm. out of 24, 26 teams here. The other teams, they don't really understand the pairing process and they i don't think they um, i don't think they're gonna um, they don't read into it so um uh, the the pairing is uh, is crucial here so uh, one one way of winning is is maxing out the points on the lesser experienced teams and trying to play the other teams very close uh, for me, I think the actually the, the the Neil game was nice, but the most surprising game was against Juwan because that was against um, Grey Knights that I know. I played them myself. I played them in a few tournaments. Um, he jumped up and was super uh, aggressive, and I killed his uh, Grandmaster Dread Knight turn one, mm. uh, which probably was a mistake because that meant he played defensively with the rest of his four. Dread Knights the rest of the game. If I didn't kill it turn one, he would have been even more uh, aggressive. And then I could have killed all of them. But now instead of uh, being, you know, taking that one out so easily, it showed my hand to him and made him be more uh, conservative with the rest of his army, which it gave him a win. It, was, it wasn't a big win. It was like uh, our game. It was like 60, 80, something, 60, 90, something like that. Um, but it was interesting to see those guys playing defensively, especially against a close combat-oriented Drukari army, because they hurt. You know, <laughs> whatever you show is dead, <laughs> and okay. that makes it hard to trade. Because uh, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm here's ten Helios. They killed something, and then they're dead. And they need to kill more than just one thing all the time to trade up well. So. You have to yeah. repay their points. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the biggest surprise, we were quite confident, or I was confident about our sister list. Our sister player was very sketchy about it. Uh, it turned out that he was right as well. Um, I don't know if it was the 1,500 points, the deduction uh, on sisters, or if it was that sisters isn't tier one anymore. Maybe there is tier two, you know. I'm not sure. Because he's definitely solid with it. Um, but uh, he, he struggled the most. He, he had the worst pairings. He struggled a lot uh, in, in, in his games. I mean, 
he, he still came out over five games with like around 100 and plus Delta. But I mean, playing two or three rookie teams, it should have been more, I think. So I right. uh, need to reconsider the validity of sisters, maybe. So, Daniel, are, are you now the official captain of Team, team Sweden? Yes, I am again. Right. So, well, congratulations. But the, 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 did you. this tournament uh, give you any food for thought, like any material to analyze, to break down? Uh, you know, did you learn anything new about the people, the armies um, or not very much? It learned me. Uh, it gave me some things to think about, and then one week after Games W came out with a change to the game, so uh, not that much about players. Unfortunately, not that much either. I would say the last, I don't know, maybe ten years, eight years for sure. We've had like a solid base of fifteen good players. That are always on the sort of rooster, the short list of ETC players. And then every year we get maybe one or, or maybe for lucky two new players. So typically the team has never been, the, the, since 2012, the team, I don't think it's ever been the same. Uh, but there's like a group of maybe 20 people over these years that have been circling around. Um, I think it's a little bit different this year. I picked five players. One of them are myself included. Uh, the other three, I'm waiting to see people with codexes that are performing, well, that, that are on like an upgoing streak. Because the thing is, uh, normally at this point of year, we have a ton of data. We have like years and years of data, tournaments. But since COVID hit, at the same time as the new edition, and we don't have that. We don't have that many, especially not big tournaments. I don't know. Maybe we've done fifteen tournaments during uh, COVID until now, uh, but only three or four of them are of any significance in player um, participation. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm still waiting for for data to, you know. The, crunch, yeah. the most the, the 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 most vivid shining stars um, mm -hmm. okay. luckily the players i have at least two or three of them are very versatile so i can afford to find the best chaos player or the best uh, whatever great night pay for example mm -hmm. uh, i can afford to do that because the other players are more or less uh, multiversed in in several codexes yeah. At the same time, though, Daniel, isn't it this year you've already picked three guys who've never played the WTC before, if I remember rightly? Yes. Ricard, Jonathan, and uh, Norman. No, you won, Nicolaisen. You won, Nicolaisen. No, Nicolaisen, yeah, sorry. Yeah. So that's going to be super interesting. To fair, uh, both, both um, Narling uh, and Richard and Nicolaisen were on the team last year, but, yeah. but it just didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, two of them were prospects for the year before that. That didn't happen. So I wouldn't say they're exactly new to the concept of the WTC. They just haven't participated. And I'm not sure. It could punish us a lot because, as I said, at 
TTT now, the tournament we've played, players that haven't done pairing and stuff before, it's very different. To nail your pairing, to say I'm going to get uh, 12, 8 in this game, it's so important to be, obviously if it's 11 or 13, it's fine. Or if it's 11 or 20, it's fine. But if it's a 6, it can split. It's a loss against Germany that easily, you know. Um, so but then, but, but all that said, though, you've got Richard Nilsson, the best Admic yeah, player. Yeah, I mean, right now, I'm, you, I'm <laughs> you've the, got Nikolaisson, no, who's the second best baseball player in the world. I mean, you're not yeah. doing too bad. <laughs> no, 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 I mean, I, and also, I'm taking out, let's say, it's not the party crowd that I'm picking out right now. Uh, it's very oh, okay. serious guys that are heavily mathematically involved and, and, uh, uh, calm people, so I, I'm sure they're gonna do great. But there is something about you know the experience of doing pairings and, and the experience of uh, being able to foresee games and say, no, I, I understand that everyone else thinks this is a, this is a 20-0, but I can cream out eight points out of this game if I just do this, this, and this, and conserve everything and reserve and play blah blah blah, you know. Uh, I, I know several American players that have gone to the ETC the first time, and they're like, "What? Uh, this is a twenty zero for me if you're playing the game, but you're not playing the game, so I can't win big enough." You know, I, I, I wrote this up as twenty zero for me. Uh, so there is a lesson learned there uh, of just not being participating in the game and being super con conservative because you're, you know, you're losing anyway. So you're just going to lose as little as possible to get six points instead of zero points. And that's yeah, lot. That, that can flip the entire game from a draw to a win or a, a, a draw to a loss. So, okay. Um, uh, so listen, you said that you, you, you don't have, uh, you know, the, the proper data to analyze and so on. And then also GDubs doesn't help with releasing an unexpected data slate with that, that flips the meta, apparently. So at the beginning, I made uh, this bold claim that, you know, it's not going to change that much uh, with in mind thinking that, you know, for the Drukari, it's like mm, maybe 150 point difference when you sum everything up for AdMech about 200 maybe. But then, yeah, the, the planes and uh, and some other cuts. So, Neil, um, you know, last question of the of the podcast. Uh, how do I know? Do, think... do I know what the changes are? Oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> do you think that the changes are going to to f yeah flip the meta completely or yeah, not very I, much? I, I think so. I mean, if GW, if Mike Brandt, you know, says what he does, what he says he's going to do, we're going to have two more balance updates before list submission for the WTC. We're gonna have had we're gonna have had the big FAQ and we're gonna have new chapter approved missions. I think the game we're gonna be playing come July, August next year is gonna be very different from the game we're playing now. So do you I think, think we will see more like sisters or grey knights or thousand sons now that the you know the, the, the list that toned them down a little bit? I think we will off? I think we will in the short term, but I think that you know, grey knights, you know, there are there is one unit that sticks out is you know pushed very hard the dread knight i can see that getting there's a very simple tweak to that and that'll bring that list down i think the thing is that you know for all the flack we give gw you know mike brands is there and he is you know the the, the, the tournament he is the global tournament organizer for gw and his bread and butter is because the background story is this there are basically four decision makers at gw at the top two of them hate competitive play 
One of them loves competitive play and one's on the fence. So Mike's job is to convince the guy on the fence that competitive play is a good thing and not a bad thing. Or else we'll end up in the dark days of the sick fed again where we don't get any support. Yeah. So proactively balancing the game to make it a fun experience for everybody is very much a thing that Mike needs to do to make it to, to, to attain his goal. Because at the end of the day, if they're just if they're going to constantly get nine months, ten months of like you know people shit talking the game on the internet everywhere, then 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 the the guy on the fence is going to go, oh these competitive players are all douchebags, not going to listen to them anymore. Screw competitive play. So I think that the game is going to be a much better place going forwards now that this is going to happen and it's going to happen regularly. Okay. Does it affect your armies, the ones that you play? Um, currently no. Because I, I haven't updated my, my ad neck for 9 Fed, so I actually only own two planes currently, as it is. <laughs> well, that, I mean, it, overall, it's going to affect all the armies. Yeah, it will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, will shift, it will shift the goalposts in a positive way. Yeah. Uh, that, that's also, from a team perspective, why uh, picking up uh, eight players that are best at the codex now is a bad idea because you don't know where the state of that codex is in six months. So does it complicate your life or the life of, I don't know, uh, Isik, for example, who is the, the organizer of WTC? Like, do you think that, you know, he will have to adjust, for example, the cutoff date to GW's release? Nah, because the real decision maker is Tommy Triani. You know, <laughs> sorry, come again. I was going to say, no, because it's not Ishik that makes the big decisions like that. It's Tom Adriani. And Tom Adriani, okay. is, a, Tom Adriani is a play tester. So Tom Adriani knows what's coming. Okay. So there will be... I mean, I'm not saying there will be no surprises that Tom tells him, because obviously Tom doesn't tell anyone anything. But I would not be surprised to find that certain things that come like list submission, that things like you know any big FAQ change, any big balance changes, will have been taken into account with when the list submission is. Because that would make sense. It would be, it would be really crap to do a submission and a week later GW drop a balance change or drop a, a big FAQ. So I think he will try to, you know, speak with GW. Because again, we're trying to get, we're very much working to get GW on board with the idea of WTC is a good thing as well. So he's very much there on the inside, you know, they're seen as a positive force already. A lot of the guys who contribute to the WTC FAQ now help contribute to the GW FAQs at least mm -hmm. put forward stuff in consideration. Um, and we'll, see, you know, we'll build a very positive relationship there. So this would be another thing as well. Cool. Okay. But it does complicate the captain's role a lot, I think. It does. Because if I'm picking out something in March that looks awesome with a player that looks awesome with it, it could be horrible in May. Yeah. But that comes so, back to your thing, <laughs> your thing, Daniel. You want to be picking players just as much for their ability rather than what they're delivering on what the latest broken list is. Yeah, that, that, so that's what I started out by saying. If you just picked a team of eight players with the best lists right now that has zero versatility, you're in trouble yeah. as a captain because obviously buggies are out and flyers are out and we don't know. Dread Knights might be out in January and uh, who knows? Taloses are out in March. You know, things will change and get switched around. So you need to pick players that have more of a good idea and a feeling of the game and that can play uh, a larger variety of lists 
I think that's uh, the key for a successful team and adapt adaptable players, you know, that, that are ready to go, okay, so apparently mech guns are back in, so I'm going to buy 18 of those or 3D print them or whatever they do. Or win, uh, or win the Adepticon team championships, you get them get free. Them. <laughs> <laughs> That's an option as well, but not to, available to everyone, I guess. But yeah. it is actually, but it is actually cheaper to go to Chicago, enter Adepticon, <laughs> and win than it is to buy them. <laughs> it probably is. <laughs> Which I'm not sure is a good advertisement to this game, but <laughs> what can you do? All right, uh, guys. Um, how can our listeners find you? Because as I said, uh, finding details about this tournament was a challenge to me. So if anyone wanted to find out anything about, you know, event, events ha um, happening in Sweden or something more about the national team, uh, where would you direct them? Daniel. Yeah, I mean, it, it used to be very easy. It used to be sv40k.se. Uh, Stuff still happens there. But it's, as you, um, you've seen, it's been sort of lame the last two years. But I think most of the tournaments actually are uh, broadcasted there still. Except for that, we have a, a tournament calendar. Uh, unfortunately, I don't, wait, let's see if I can figure it out. You're now, you're now forcing Daniel to go to Facebook, which is something Daniel does not do. He doesn't even have a, fa a real Facebook profile. Out of his um, comfort zone, I understand. Yeah. But uh, basically, I mean, actually, I say there's uh, a talking calendar. A good way is just actually message the Swedish team Facebook page. If you're coming, yeah, if you're, I mean, if you want to come to Sweden and play in a, a tournament from abroad, message the Swedish team. You know, it's Daniel, it's Jimmy, it's the guys. They'll pick it up and they'll tell you what the, where the events are within the, the time frame you can come to Sweden. They'll tell you where the events are, what you're worth going to. Yeah, I mean, also most of our stuff, or I think. Basically, everything is on um, BCP. Uh, BCP. So okay. just just look for you know Swedish tournaments at BCP, and you'll you're gonna find a yeah. bunch of them. Uh, and you can always reach out to me. I'm Papa D Warhammer at Facebook. Uh, that it's yeah, it's silly, but uh, I I just recently joined Facebook, so. I'm I'm still a little bit secret. <laughs> now you're I'm also a boomer and old as fuck. So <laughs> you've right, also that's... worked your whole life in internet security, and therefore yeah, understand yeah. why Facebook is a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I I want to have a small internet footprint. <laughs> so <laughs> it's wise and healthy again. Yeah. Neil, uh, where can people find you? Do you want to plug anything? Um, I mean, you can find me either through the WTC Facebook page, that's always the easiest one, or through my own Facebook page, Neil Kerr. Um, you can even also contact the Team Sweden because they, they can't get rid of me as much as they try. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the easiest ones, yeah. And um, I mean, plugging stuff. I mean, we've got, yeah, if you, if I say, like, you know, Tommy Ajani came out to the team event this time and he's already planning to bring a couple of teams over from Belgium next year. If you're going to come to a tournament in Sweden, the team tournament is always the first full weekend in November and it's always brilliant and if you're coming from abroad and you get in touch before tickets are released I know the organisers will always put tickets aside for, for yeah. teams coming from outside the country they'll always prioritise their tickets to make sure those teams get them so definitely come to that if not big events in Sweden you've got Malmo in October um, Games of Vesteros outside of Stockholm like running, every quarter yeah. they run every quarter I'm going to be running a really big event in uh, Gothenburg in Easter Daniel, hint, hint. 
so yes, yeah, so there's, there's, pl- there's, pl- there's plenty of events. It's just, you know, get in touch and come over. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I, I mean, to be about big events in Sweden. Uh, Fantasia. Like, I mean, when we're saying big events, it's like ar- around 100, 120. Yeah. That, that, that's big in Sweden, I would say. I was going to say as well, sorry, just think Fantasia, if you want to go play those northern events. Yeah. Europe, that's awesome. Just outside the Arctic Circle. Yeah. And they're running, correct me if I'm wrong, though, they're going to be running a team event in June in, in like, Stockholm. Apparently. In Stockholm for <laughs> like like um something like 200 player team event. Yeah. Should be pretty awesome. I'm okay. I'm apparently an organizer because I'm getting questions about how how to sign up for it. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an organizer. Could someone tell the guy? <laughs> Well, definitely, you know, they want to have your endorsement for it. So um, that's even uh, fantasy Excel. I just looked it up on Facebook. Yeah. Okay. Is Neil, do you still do you still do uh, WTC Squadcast, or is it now uh, I with don't, someone else? I don't. Ishik does. I don't. Okay. I currently do. I currently don't have time in my life because I have a small child, and as I said to you guys off air, to pick up my son from kindergarten early, so he's not there all day long. I now start work at a ridiculous hour in the morning. So. Mm-hmm. It is still, already is already forty minutes past my bedtime, and we're talking. It's just after nine o'clock in the evening. All right. So uh, if you don't want to, then I will uh, plug uh, WDC's podcast because I've only recently discovered uh, what a great value that is. Uh, you know, interviews with captains of all national teams, uh, uh, summaries of events, and so on. So if anyone wants uh, top quality content, uh, go there and listen to that. It's on Spotify, definitely. I don't know if uh, any other uh, media, but uh, it's on it's on iTunes, Spotify, it's on everything because um, I set it up that way. As I said, Ishik's okay. just taking it over because I don't have the time to do it, and Ishik does, so he's the one right. championing it for us. Okay, which reminds me, by the way. Uh, guys, we are on iTunes now as well, since as of today, actually. So uh, if you want to tune in there, uh, by all means, do. And yeah, I think we will wrap up the episode. So Daniel Hasselberg, Neil Kerr, thank you, guys. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Have a great day. And until next time. <laughs>